The Unbiased Podcast is recorded live at the Ministry of Sound and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is the Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head on now and try them out. Welcome to Your Money, Your Future with Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk. Karen, we know how passionate you are about empowering people to make confident financial decisions. This series is all about taking control of your money, enabling people to achieve their dreams, be it saving for a dream home, starting a business or retiring early. In fact, 6 million people every single year, and I believe you've done the maths on this, that's more than 16,000 mm-hmm. people a day come to your website looking for help. So today, let's answer the questions most commonly asked by people that are coming to Unbiased. Are you ready? Sure, I am. Fire away. So the number one question people want to know the answer to is this. How much does financial advice cost? You're right. This is the biggest question we get asked when people are looking at financial advice. People get scared by the prospect of forking out a fortune for financial advice and not always knowing at the outset whether it's going to be worth it. So the first thing really to be aware of is that a financial advisor can help you save money in many different ways from recommending the right product that you can save significant costs over the long term to helping you more effectively so that your money isn't being eroded so much by tax and inflation, say. And of course, they can also help you avoid costly mistakes, whether that is buying the wrong financial products for your circumstances or losing money through an error of judgment and just choosing the wrong path to go down, really, or even falling victim to fraud, which we've seen an increasing number of cases over the last decade. And so really, the cost of advice is often less than the cost of doing nothing. And as a rule of thumb, and certainly the case with a lot of our unbiased advisors, is that the initial consultation is free. They're really happy to have a chat through your particular situation. And then you can ask questions of your advisor, ask them about different clients they've helped that are in your situation, and really then just work out some options for you. And then you can make a decision. So they should be open and clear about their fees, really transparent. They'll let you know whether they operate on an hourly rate or a fixed fee for a specific service or an ongoing percentage fee for managing, say, an investment portfolio. Or if they have options and you can choose which you would like to pay via. And of course, you can always help your understanding of the types of costs that would be applicable to your situation by using our calculator tool. You can find that on unbiased.co.uk backslash tools. And you can plug in some basic details around your own situation to get an instant estimate based on average advisor fees for everything from setting up a pension to releasing equity. Fantastic. And that definitely makes life a lot easier. I guess the next question everyone wants to know is what should people expect when meeting a financial advisor and how can they prepare for these calls? So it's definitely worth doing a bit of prep before you meet your advisor. You can get all your paperwork together and think about what your goals are, whether that's specific, like 
I'd like to start accessing my pension pot or more general, such as I want to ensure my kids have a decent nest egg when they leave home, or I'm thinking about my own retirement, or I'd like to move to the country. So you'll probably find you talk about all sorts of different topics with your advisor over and above the main reason you sought their advice. Your advisor will want a clear overall picture of your situation. And I think that's where advisors really come into their own. They don't just say, this is how you can remortgage and that's that. They have a real broad holistic view of your finances and they can often point out other areas of concern or things that you should be making a decision on, although it's not the main area that you came to them for advice on. So you may even discover that your original goal is not in fact the goal you end up with and you may end up making alternative plans with the help of your advisor. My advice is to ask as many questions as possible. This is your opportunity to get the right advice for you. Keep asking questions until you're satisfied. Check that you've understood what's being explained, that your financial advisor will be more than happy to talk you through the pros and cons, or if there's any financial jargon that's being used, they can explain what things mean. One thing an advisor can really help with is ensuring that you're both on the same page when it comes to your appetite to risk. And this can be a difficult concept sometimes to understand. What is your own tolerance? for risk you know you might be happy jumping out planes and you know in terms of your life you know you're quite a risk taker etc but it's not the same as what's your appetite for risk when it comes to your finances how much money would you be prepared to lose or how much volatility could you accept seeing in your investment portfolio you know when the markets are going down and up So once you've identified that tolerance for risk, make sure that that's clear between you and your advisor and ensure that your financial plan caters to that. I know for one, I have a very low risk tolerance. I'm the kind of person that looks for hurdles I can step over, not jump over. So I'm so glad that I don't feel alone in asking myself before I even start these conversations, what is my risk profile? I also wonder from the takeaways that you said, so far as the cost of advice is often less than the cost of doing nothing, something you said earlier, which I absolutely love. But You need to clarify how risky or cautious you are, right? You need to click with your advisor because I I assume, even just from doing it myself on your site, that trust is vital to the process. Absolutely. Trust is a is a big thing when you're sharing sort of intimate financial details about your life with a third party. So, you know, I must say to start off with, all the advisors on unbiased are regulated and they pass qualifications that enable them to give proper accredited advice. But you're right, you have to trust your advisor and particularly click with them. The advisor that might be right for your colleague or your friend might not be the right advisor for you. So potentially an advisor could be with you for many years, helping you through lots of big decisions. So it is important really to get on with your advisor and ensure that they understand where you are in your life and that they have tools and uh, suggestions to make your decision making around your finances easier. So ask yourself the practical things like, are they properly qualified in the areas I need advice on, such as equity release or pensions? Generally, advisors are qualified to a high general level, but there are particular papers or qualifications that they can take in specific areas. So if you're requiring advice on a certain area, ensure you ask your advisor about that particular area and their qualifications. And also, can they tell you about clients like you? ask them, can they tell you about situations when people like you came to them for help and what they did to help them? And now what is the outcome? So what can they do for you and how can they add value? 
an advisor will absolutely be happy to talk about that and really show evidence of the value add and the confidence that they can give to you in terms of your financial planning. So make sure they are the right fit. And ultimately, you want to know where you stand to gain if you choose to take advice. Have your advisor explain really clearly and simply what services they will perform for you, how you can expect to benefit in the short, the medium and the long term, and whether this is through investment returns, improved security, peace of mind, savings on tax, a better mortgage rate or something else. Brilliant. Now, this show has been a wild success. In fact, it's mind-boggling to see since you started to where you are now, you're in the top 10% of global podcasts in your niche, which is amazing. And what's more amazing is about the people that you're touching and the lives that you're shaping when it comes to trust and when it comes to financial advice is the questions that are sent to us. Questions like Lily has just asked us, a very timely question. Hi, I'm Lily. I'm finishing university this year and considering a career in fintech. What advice do you have for getting started? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I just want to say the podcast has been a massive success. And really that just underlines the need there is out there for people who are interested in understanding their finances, ensuring that they're being proactive and on the front foot and that they've got more control over their financial lives. So we're really pleased to be able to talk about these topics and that people are happy to listen. Back to the question from Lily. I'm really glad to hear this. Um, you would imagine me to say this because I'm loving what I do, but the fintech space is a really interesting place right now and it has loads of opportunity in it. It's a sector that is really well funded and it's fast growing. And that means it gives plenty of career opportunity for someone like you that's interested in a career in fintech. Particularly companies want to hear from women, particularly in tech, but there are loads of different roles in fintech companies from product, you know, creating the service or the product that people are going to consume, marketing, covering all sorts of digital promotion and sales, for example. So my advice would be to get as broad a range of experience as possible so you know what you really like doing. You're early on in your career. It's a great time for jumping around and trying a bit of this and that. But a blend of technical skill and business acumen in this sector is the perfect mix. I'd also say, having recruited and hired lots of people over the years, there's a lot to say about having a can-do attitude. Sometimes it's not just about skills, but if you have a willingness to learn and you're happy to take on any opportunity or have a go at something, that's, that's really amazing. And being flexible is really important, particularly in the early stages of your career, so that you can make the best of any opportunities that present themselves, particularly in an area that's changing as fast as fintech is. And then finally, I think I'd say do your research, learn the ecosystem, sectors and players. You can do this easy by Googling and following news and signing up to new services in relevant areas. Look on Twitter. There's a lot of commentators on there who really got their finger on the pulse when it comes to fintech. And have a think about what products you're excited about and which companies you really love. Dig further into their history and particularly any company that you think you'd like to work with. And then really start attending some fintech events and networking and start talking to the people who are already working in that area. You can find these events on Inventbrite or in LinkedIn groups. Love that. I think that's a common theme from this show is to stalk, aka do your due diligence. <laughs> You're right, stalking. We're, we encourage it, don't we? <laughs> sound advice. Lily, I hope that gives you all the information you need. And of course, hashtag fintech is an incredibly large community on Twitter, as mentioned above. Next, we have Steve. Hi, Karen. It's Steve here. My wife and I want to start saving for our grandson, but we're a bit confused by all the options out there. Where should we start? 
Well, you know, the good thing with you and your plan is that time is on your side. If you start saving for your kids or your grandkids when they're little, by the time they reach adulthood, they're going to have a really healthy head start financially. So it's great that you can look at this for them. You've got quite a few choices. So do get advice as to what's the best option for your budget and particular situation. However, to give you some pointers, I would say consider junior ISAs. They're like ordinary long-term savings accounts for children, except there's no tax on the growth, which is great. You can opt for stocks and shares junior ISA where your money is invested in assets or a cash one where the growth potential is probably less, but is more secure. And you'll get an annual percentage growth on your savings with that account. So there is more risk to stocks and shares ISA, but you can also make greater gains. I think without knowing your situation, I would just say broadly that the children's savings over the longer term, stocks and shares ISA would be savings ISA in most cases. You could also take out a junior self-invested personal pension. You can put up to 2800 a year into a junior SIP and you also get 20% tax relief. And of course, don't forget premium bonds. Worth it if you have a lump sum. Don't hold me to it, but on average, one in three people win a prize each year with an investment of £1,000. So of course, chat through the options with the parents though, and do seek advice because there's some great savings account deals out there exactly for this purpose. And an advisor can shop around and get the best options for you. Wonderful. A lot of great suggestions there. Saving for your kids or grandkids could end up being the keys to their first car or hopefully a deposit on their first home. So definitely worth doing. Lastly, a question I think we can all relate to right now. Hi, Karen. It's Caroline here. Everything seems to be going up at the moment. My energy bills, interest rates and my cost of living. Is there anything that I can do to manage this? Yes, Caroline, I feel your pay. We're all feeling the pinch at the moment. It seems that everywhere we look, as you mentioned, food, energy, fuel prices are rising. But yes, there are things you can do. We're all going to be impacted by rising bills, but there's some really simple, quick wins, which I can suggest, which will help. It sounds really simple, but number one is find out where your money is going. Split your monthly spending into bills, so rent or mortgage, utilities, council tax, you know, TV license, phone or internet, and then things like groceries, essential transport, commuting costs, and then your subscriptions. We're all guilty of lots of subscriptions these days, stuff like gym, you know, film or TV services. And then finally, your non-essential spending. So this is things like leisure, eating out, clothes, etc., makeup. Then are there any one-off annual costs? And that would be holidays, insurance premiums, that sort of thing. And then add it all up, divide by 12, and you'll get a monthly cost recorded. Often your banking apps will help you categorize this. I've got a Monzo and a Santander myself, and I know that both of them enable me to tag payments into different categories. So check out and see if your banking allows you to do that, because that can be a really great way to start. Then you can begin to identify where you can make savings. So I'd suggest that you start by cutting back on non-essential spending. And remember, it's often the small stuff. If you take out just £3 a day from your spending, that means you're saving over £720 a year. It all adds up, doesn't it? I'm not recommending, I mean, it can sound a bit miserable, can't it? I'm not recommending you cut out all your little luxuries. You know, if you want your coffee or you know, you have these little rituals and it makes you happy, do that. Ensure that you're not cutting out everything, but it is about choices. And really, I'd say, think about this as rather redirecting 
this spending that you're making on a daily basis to your future self. You know, you're investing in your future self and ensuring that you're confident that you've got savings and that you can afford your bills. And, you know, I just really want people to become more confident in controlling their finances and not feeling that their finances are controlling them. So I think finally, this is the thing that people do not do. And it's the setting up of an automatic transfer from your current account, where you get your wages, et cetera, into your savings account. So take that money out. When you get paid, pay your savings account, pay yourself first, ring fence that monthly savings, and you'll be surprised how quickly it adds up. And how good it feels, really, you know, having that money growing month by month, it gives you greater peace of mind. And it's going to be a buffer against any of those future bill hikes and should really remove some of the worry. So this is a perfect example of taking control of your finances. Take these simple steps and it's going to help you practically, but it's also going to give you peace of mind. Absolutely. Even listening to that, I was taking notes in the background. Good, <laughs> good, good, idea. good. Pay yourself first. I love that. Well, sadly, I think we're nearly out of time. But honestly, I could talk with you all day. And what shines out through this conversation, through these conversations, is that how financial advice could truly be, as Stephen Covey once said, a win-win opportunity. So I guess you've answered all kinds of questions today, from how much advice costs to how best you can save for the next generation. And I really want to take a moment to just thank you for doing that. But is there any practical advice which listeners could put to action right now before we do our quick recap of the three things that everyone should take away from today's episode? Gladly. I think, oh gosh, if I had to choose the top three for today, it would be one, goals. Make sure you spend a bit of time defining what your goals are, then you can work towards them. They can be either specific or more general, but just think about what you're trying to achieve and then get some help from an advisor and it's their job to show you the path of getting to achieve your goals. So number one, goals. Two, risk. You know, there's no right or wrong answer. This is about you. So you ask yourself, what's your approach to risk? Put simply, what's the point that scares you? You know, how much can you afford to lose? How resilient are you to watching markets go up and down and effectively your investments going up and down? So how much volatility in your investments are you comfortable with? define it and work to that. It's going to be it's going to be your decision and everyone's situation is different. And then three, control. If you don't feel in control of your money, it can have a real dramatic effect on your mental health and well-being. So take baby steps, gather your paperwork together, start making some small changes, understanding where your spending is going. So take stock and then book time with an advisor who can really help you blast through all this decision making. They do this day in, day out. They're well-versed in the types of financial decisions and issues and challenges people have every single day. You're not alone. And an advisor can hold your hand and take you through the process. I love that. It reminds me of what my grandfather used to say. He said, when in doubt, ask about. Find an expert and ask questions. You've given us such straightforward advice today. So thank you again. So many people right now are put off from their finances. They're put off about what's clear and what's not. Mm -hmm. Just doing these things, even just one of the things we've talked about today, just getting started. You're putting yourself on the right path to financial success and well-being because we know how these things can affect one's mental health. So again, thank you. Any last words before we sign off today's episode? Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. It really is. And thank you everyone for listening to the unbiased podcast please don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating and if you've got any comments or questions or topics you'd like us to cover please leave a comment
Making a high quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copus, K-O-P-U-S dot com and let's talk.